Amen. As you guys take your seats, I'm going to go a little off of what's in the bulletin. I want you to turn to, to Exodus 33. Exodus 33, if you have your Bibles. And really one verse I'm going to focus on, that's verse 18. Verse 18. Um, those verses in your bulletin I'm still going to reference here in just a little bit, but, but that's going to be my main focus text. And, uh, you know, at my parents' house, there is a... Um, some gardens across the street from their house, and in those gardens there's this pond, and this is Noah here on the screen that you can see sitting at this pond, and years ago we were there, and you could see in the picture in the pond, it was around this time of year, there's a lot of leaves in the pond, and so we're sitting there, and Noah, when we first approached the pond, could see the, the fish swimming around in the pond, and of course he got really excited, he wanted to see the fish, he wanted to interact with them, he wanted to touch them, he wanted to see all the different colors of the fish and everything, but as he approached them and got closer to them, desiring to interact with them, the fish would immediately sense his presence and go into hiding behind the leaves. And of course you can imagine, especially in this picture, he's probably about four years old, um, this, this was frustrating. And so what he did was, is he got some sticks and he, just little ones, and he began to kind of toss them into the water to try to stir up the water, to try to move those leaves so that he could see the fish. And then that wasn't working. Every time they did that, they would still go into hiding. And so then he got a stick, a longer stick, and he began to just kind of poke around in the pond and try to move those leaves around to try to stir up the water so that they would come out of hiding and so that he could interact with them and see them and get close to them and so on. But no matter what he did to his frustration, they would still remain in hiding. And when I think of that afternoon, when I think of that afternoon, I, I can begin to picture God walking through the garden, crying out to Adam and Eve, where are you? Desiring to interact with them, to talk with them, to draw near to them. And there they were hiding behind the leaves. And when I think about that afternoon, I, I think about even, I begin to imagine God even walking through our lives, so to speak, asking us, where are you? And no matter what he does, it seems that for many of us, we are still in hiding. And so I'm convinced that God is trying everything in his power to grab hold of us, to shake us, to stir up the water, if you will, to get us to come out from hiding behind those leaves, whatever they are for you, to interact with you. But for some of us, we, we just, we're, still not, we're still not moving no matter what he does. It's like no matter what he does personally in our lives, no matter what he does on a, a much more cultural or community level or a global level, for some of us, we're still just not moving. And so I'm convinced that nearly everything we're going through is a call from God to pray, hence the series we're in, because prayer is essential for spiritual life. It's essential for spiritual health. It's essential for spiritual growth and spiritual direction and so on. When it comes to communion with God, abiding in the Lord, prayer is as natural and needed as breathing oxygen. Ultimately, prayer is, as one person said, the natural outpouring or the outgushing of a life in communion with the Lord. Prayer is necessary and natural to a life lived in Christ. We must pray. 
has been the whole point of the series. We must pray. We can't afford not to pray. And we must pray desperately, shoving aside anything and everything in our life just to spend time with the Lord. And we must be direct with God in prayer. In other words, we can't beat around the bushes. We can't pretend. We can't keep putting on a mask before the Lord's. We must come out of hiding. We must be utterly and wholly exposed when we come into his presence, completely vulnerable and open, literally as the song would say, come just as you are. We saw a couple weeks ago that we must be disciplined in prayer. And I challenged you at the very least to do the three by five. Three times a day, pray for five minutes. For some of us, we're like, okay, I'm already doing this. That's that's wonderful. But for some of us, this could be a struggle to take three times in your day and pray for at least five minutes. And, you, you, you know, some of that could be offering up requests or confession, but some of that, for that five minutes, it's literally just sitting in the presence of God and just being still and knowing that he is God. But pray. And I challenge you to do this at least through Christmas. Do it always, but at least through Christmas, do this and watch how the Lord begins to work in your life. And if you can't do that, at least do the one by five. At least one time a day, spend five minutes with the Lord in prayer. Pray. The calling is to pray. And ultimately we need, as I want to conclude this series, the ultimate thing that we need is deepening prayer. We must decide, when this all comes down, we must decide once for all to go deeper in our walk with the Lord. See, if we're being honest with ourselves, some of us are stuck. And maybe we've grown content so to speak, staying in the shadow end of the pool. See, some of us have been professing believers for years, maybe even decades, yet we're stuck in the shadow end of the pool with the water up to our knees. For, for some good reasons, we think. It's easier. It's more manageable. I can see the bottom. It's not too powerful for me. There's no mystery with it. There's no weird creatures lurking in the dark around my feet. And so we're stuck in the shadow end. I, uh, th- this picture here on the screen is Wind's Pool in Ponca City. I grew up going to this pool. I even worked at this pool in high school. And this pool, like many others growing up, I, I remember I would go and I would hang out in the shadow wind as a little kid. Because I could see the bottom. Because I could touch. And it was manageable for me. Because it was safer for me. It wasn't too powerful, it wasn't mysterious, it wasn't dark or anything like that, but it would never fail, usually, especially growing up, I would, at some point in the day at the pool, I would get some goggles and I would approach the deep end. And I would get my goggles on and I would go down right on the cusp of the deep end and I would just look out. And as a young kid, this was a very frightening moment because I'd be staring out into the darkness before me. The depth, the power, the mystery. I was thinking Leviathan was coming out of the shadows. That's kind of what I was thinking, right? I didn't know what was going to happen. I just, it was a very vulnerable moment. I felt exposed, fear creeping in. Some of us, when it comes to our spiritual lives, we've been swimming in the shadow end our entire lives. Stuck in the kiddie pool. We've grown complacent in it. It's comfortable. It's easy. I can touch. It's manageable. It's not dark or mysterious or unknown. 
And so we've refused to go any deeper. And you might say, well, what's wrong with that, Jonathan? Isn't that the safe bet? What's wrong with it is that God is not like a pool. God is like the ocean. And he's calling you not just to get out of the shadow end, but to get out of the pool altogether and jump in the ocean. And to go deeper. And to go deeper. And not look back. Now listen, he's not calling us to just sit on the sands and study facts about the ocean. He's not calling us just to sit on the shore and just observe the ocean. Like many people do. He's calling us into relationship, into communion, to abide in him. He's calling us to jump in. Your whole self, your heart, soul, mind, and strength to abide in him, to walk in him, to swim away with him, to get lost in him, to go with him deeper into the unknown, into the mystery, the depths, the power, the glory, the wonder, into the beauty, into the love, into his entire self. He's calling us finite beings into a relationship with his infinite self. You know, if you study just the Pacific Ocean, If we just took the Pacific Ocean and studied some facts, you would come across some amazing things. The Pacific Ocean covers more than 30% of the Earth's surface. It has a surface area of more than 60 million square miles. This ocean basin is larger than the landmass of all the continents combined. It contains almost twice as much water as the world's second largest body of water, the Atlantic Ocean. It has an average depth of approximately 13,000 feet, and the deepest place on earth known as Challenger Deep extends to a depth of more than 36,000 feet, and it's found in the Mariana Trench in the Pacific. Here's kind of what that looks like at the bottom. It's dark. It's cold. It's mysterious and almost unknown. And to put all this into perspective, if you took Mount Everest, we'll go back there, if you took Mount Everest, it's only 29,000 feet. The Pacific Ocean is 36,000 feet deep at Challenger Deep. So if you took Mount Everest and just flipped it upside down, and put it right there at the surface of that Pacific Ocean in that spot, you would still have another mile to go to get to the bottom. That's how deep it is. It's a big ocean, mysterious. Taking all the oceans combined, we've only explored less than 5% of the ocean's depth. We've mapped it out, but actually gone down there and explored less than 5% of the ocean's depth. The Pacific Ocean is almost an unimaginable place of mystery, of depth, of darkness, of power, of all. And to find yourself in it. Not just knowing facts about it, not just even looking at it, but to find yourself in it is unlike anything else. A couple years ago, I told you a while back that we were in Hawaii for my brother's wedding. And while we were there, we did this snorkeling excursion to this place that you've already seen. And this place is called Molokini. It's this crater right off the island of Maui. And we did this snorkeling excursion out there to Molokini. And 
one of the options they gave us was also to go snuba diving. Not scuba diving, but snuba diving. See, scuba diving is right. You got the oxygen tank on your back. You got, you know, the thing in your mouth. So you're breathing the oxygen and you're just going under there 30, 50 feet deep. But snuba diving is like the between of snorkeling and scuba diving. And this is what it looks like. The oxygen tank is on the top of the water. And you're sharing that tank with somebody else. And both of you are attached to this cord that comes down. And you can only go about 10 Maybe 15 feet deep, but really 10 feet. And so you're there just breathing, and that's all you're doing. And so this is what we did. I was attached to my dad. He was taking too much of the oxygen tank, um, so we almost ran out, but that's okay. But I was attached to my dad, and we were swimming around there and having a good time. But then when it was all over, we went swimming back to the boat. So how it would happen is, you see the crater there, all the boats on these snorkeling excursions would just pull right up to it as if they were pulling up to a a, a grocery store or something. They're all just parked right there. And so we swam, when it was time's up for it, we we swam to the back of the boat. And so behind us were all the snorkelers and the snuba divers and everything. And before us, though, was just the ocean. And so I remember before... Going up on top of the boat, I remember we had just a little bit of oxygen left in the tank, and I remember just going down there below the boat and literally just looking out. I mean, here we are in the middle of the Pacific Ocean. Remember everything I just told you about it. And here we are in the middle of the Pacific Ocean. I'm just looking out at this darkness, this mystery, this power, this all before me, and I'm just like, Wow. Wind's pool has nothing on this. And I was afraid. Leviathan's going to come out of there or something, right? I was afraid. What is lurking down there? Yet I was breathless and in awe, the beauty, the wonder, the mystery. And even that doesn't quite compare to the kind of journey, the kind of life, the kind of communion with himself that God is calling you to. We must get out of the shadow end of the pool. We must get out of the pool itself and we must jump into the ocean and go deeper with him. As the psalmist would talk about in Psalm 1, everything we do, whether we're striding, standing, or sitting, our entire self and way of life must be all about him. Not this world, not what sinners are doing, but all about him, going deeper into communion with him. We must be devoted to him, his word, following and obeying his counsel, living for him, meditating on him and his word day and night, literally groaning from within just for the Lord, going deeper and deeper like a tree with roots, just going down, 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 deep into the soil, drawing on a never-ending source of water. Think of it like this. There's a really important scene in Exodus 33. That's why I wanted you to turn there today. Moses is there. The people of the Israelites are they're in the wilderness. And in a way, things aren't going well. But Moses is basically praying to the Lord and asking him, Lord, are you going to go with us? Are you going to go ahead of us? Because if you're not going with us, we don't want to go. 
Because life is about you. And if you're not with us, then how are we going to be distinguishable from any other nation out there? You are what makes us different. You are what sets us apart. So Lord, if, if you're not going with us, we don't want to go. The Lord says, no, 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 I'm, I'm going to go. And he says, I know you by name. He says that to Moses. I know you by name. And so in this exchange, though, Moses says, okay, well, then please show me your glory. It's just five words that says a lot. And that word please or surely, depends on your translation, some leave it out, but it is an emphatic word in this prayer to show that Moses is begging God, show me yourself. Just please, I just want to see. It's an imperative, it's a command, show me. You've been there before probably in your bedroom, in that hospital room, at your house, in the car. You've been there. Lord, I just want to see you. I just want to know you. Show me your glory. I'm tired of the shadow wind. I'm tired of the pool. I want the ocean. I want all of it. Show me your glory. It's very similar to what King David would later say in Psalm 27. He said, listen, one thing I ask from the Lord, this is the only thing I seek, that I may just dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. I just want to gaze on the beauty of the Lord, just to seek him in his temple. Please show me your glory. But listen, this is like me praying, Lord, let me drink in the oceans. You don't know what you're saying, Moses. It's as Paul said to Timothy in 1 Timothy 6.16, He alone is immortal. He's the one who lives in unapproachable light who no one has seen or can see. However, God says to Moses, I'll give you a glimpse. I'll let you go snuba diving for a moment. Just to get a little picture of the Pacific. And so what God does then is he puts Moses on the rock next to him. That's a crucial detail. He puts him on the rock. And then he hides him in the cleft of the rock. There's been many songs written about this. He hides him in the cleft of the rock. And you just kind of picture Moses just kind of hidden in the side of this little rock, just looking out, just waiting. And all of a sudden, God passes by, and Moses just gets a little glimpse of his glory, just kind of from the backside. Just a little snuba diving moment. Moses just sitting there, most likely just in awe, fear, vulnerability. And here's what's amazing and almost really hard to comprehend. This is the glory of God passing by. And today, God calls us to come out of the cleft. And to enter into his dwelling place boldly. Moses is hidden in the cleft of the rock. 
God's hand just kind of overshadowing. He just gets a little glimpse. It's just a little glimpse. He wants more, but he's satisfied with just a glimpse. It's an unimaginable sight. But today, God is calling us out of the cleft to enter into his dwelling place boldly, to jump into the ocean of his glory, and to go deeper and deeper and deeper, to come away with him, to abide in him, in complete communion and relationship with him. You say, well, how in the world is that possible? How can we go from, Moses, you don't know what you're asking. If you were to drink the oceans, you would die, if you will. You don't know what you're asking. So how do we go from that to come into his place, his dwelling place with boldness? How is that possible? Because God has made a way. In Jesus, in his life, in and through his body and blood, in Jesus, God has made a way for you and I to be present in him, to have communion with him, to be engulfed forever in the ocean of his glory and presence. But listen to what John wrote in John chapter 1. He said, listen, the words who was with God in the beginning, who was God in the beginning. All things were made by the word, through the word, for the word. And this word became flesh. Remember, God is spirit, but 2,000 years ago, we're about to celebrate it, the second person of the Trinity stepped down and took on flesh. And John says, he dwelt among us. But he goes on, don't, Miss this. And we have seen his glory. Moses so desperately wanted to see God's glory. David so desperately wanted to see God's glory. And now in and through Jesus, God was pleased to have the breadth and the width and the height and the mystery and the power and the light and the beauty and the glory of the oceans, so to speak, of his glory that is unimaginable, dwell in Jesus. And he has said, here he is for you. Unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior. Here is the I am in the flesh. All is fullness. This is what the New Testament tells us. He's the fullness of deity in human form. That God was pleased to have his fullness dwell in him. Everything was made by him and through him. All things hold together in him. The glory of God in human form. As Jesus says, if you've seen me, you have seen. You have beheld the Father. Come out of the cleft and reside in me now. We are invited, called, to go into a deeper relationship and communion with him. To leave the shadow pool. To get into the ocean. The question is, what this all comes down to, we can talk all we want about prayer. We can talk about facts about prayer. I can preach it, we can teach it. The question is, is do you want to? The question is, is do you want to? Pavarotti, the famous Italian opera singer, had trouble deciding if he ought to be a teacher or a singer. So he went to his dad and asked, which one should I do? Should I teach or should I sing? Well, his dad said, well, son, if you try to sit on two chairs, you're going to fall between them. 
In life, you must choose one chair. Of course, he chose singing, and the rest is history. But in life, we must choose every day. Which chair am I going to sit in? Which job will I take? Which school will I attend? Which house will I buy? Which topping will I put on my ice cream? Which team will I root for? Which road will I travel? Which direction will we go? And when it comes to Jesus, it's very, very clear, we must choose. Do I even want him? Again, we can teach about him. We can sit on the sands and talk all about the facts about him. We can even observe everything he's done and everything he is doing. But do I actually want him? Do I actually want to get in the ocean and go deeper and deeper into the mysterious and the unknown and the depths of his presence and glory? Or would I rather have the world? Or would I rather have myself? Or would I rather have my idols? Do I want the ocean or do I just want wind's pool and the shadow wind? In Matthew chapter 6, Jesus said, listen, you can't have two masters because you're going to love the one and you're going to hate the other one. You're going to be devoted to one and you're going to despise the other one. John would say something like this in 1 John 2. He said, listen, don't love the world or the things in the world. Because if you do, if anyone loves the world, then the love of the Father is not in him because you can't have it both ways. John's teaching comes from Jesus. You can't have two masters. You must choose. This comes all down to our heart. Do I even want the Lord? Do I want to go deeper with him or not? If I don't, I just won't pray. I'll keep staying in the shadow wind because it's manageable and I get to touch and I get to decide. Do you want your life built on the rock or not? In Matthew chapter 7, Jesus said, listen, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, is going to enter the kingdom, but only those who do the will of my Father who is in heaven. And we know what the will of the Father is. He told us at the transfiguration, this is my son and my love, listen to him. The only name given to us under heaven by which we must be saved the word become flesh, the exact imprint of God's very nature and character. And Jesus said, listen, you've got to deny yourself, pick up your cross, come follow me. If you can't renounce everything, then you can't be my follower. And if you love me, you'll obey me. It comes down to love. It comes down to devotion. The will of the Father is to receive Jesus as your Lord, to follow him wholeheartedly. And he said, listen, many people are going to say to me on that day, well, Lord, Lord, didn't we prophesy in your name? Didn't we cast out demons in your name? Didn't we do a lot of good things in your name? But he said, then I'm going to tell you plainly, I never knew you. Remember what he told Moses, I know you by name. Then he will tell them plainly, I never knew you, so away from me, you evildoers. And then right after that, Jesus tells a story about these two builders. He said, listen, there was a wise builder who built his house on the rock. This person is the one who heard my words and actually did them. They actually jumped into the ocean because they built their house on the rock. And so when the storm came, ultimately when the judgment of God came, they were safe. But the foolish builder who built his house on sand is the one who heard my words and didn't do them. They stayed on the sands. They stayed in the shadow end. They didn't come all in. 
this is the person who built their house on sand. And so when the storm came, it blew that house down. Its destruction was complete. Jesus uses a picture of these two builders, these two homes. A house built on sand and a house built on rock. Most likely, Jesus was telling this story near the Sea of Galilee, which is where he did a lot of his teaching. And this is a natural setting for his analogy. Because many scholars have pointed out that in the summer times, what happens around the Sea of Galilee is it gets really dry. And the sand becomes like rock. And so if you're a foolish builder, what you might do is approach that area Look at the ground, look at the surface, and say, man, it appears to be good. It appears to be right. And then you'll build your house there on that rock, which is actually sand. But Jesus is saying the floods are coming. It's going to get soft. And when that happens, it's going to be proven in the end that your house was not built on actual rock, but on sand. Thus you're a fool. But the wise builders, they come, and what they do is they dig deep, and they go deeper, and they go deeper until they hit rock, and they build their house on the rock. Remember, God placed Moses on the rock, and they build their house on the rock, and so when the storm comes, they're safe. They're good. You and I are called to hear the word, to know the word, to live the word. We are called to abide in him. He invites us into a relationship with him, to go into deeper communion with him, to be like Moses planted on the rock, whose desire was him. It's what David's desire was. I could care less about the kingdom. I just want you. Those who are, those whose houses are built on the rock, those who love the Lord and abide in him, he knows them by name. Just like with Moses. We're told in Psalm 1 that he knows the way of the righteous. These are the ones like trees with deep roots who bear fruit. As we're told in Proverbs 12, 12, the root of the righteous bears fruit. It digs deep. They're built on the rock, the blessed ones who are safe in the ocean of God's glory and presence. But to to those who are not the righteous, who are not abiding in him, who are not in deep communion with him, who aren't in the ocean of God's glory and presence, he will one day say, I don't know you. I have no communion with you. I could care less what you know about me. I don't know you. So depart from me. It's our choice. God has literally done everything and presented us everything in Christ. It's our choice to receive or reject, believe or disbelieve. And for those of us who are stuck in the shadow end of the pool in our spiritual life, he is calling us, get out of there and get into the ocean. If you so want to. You know, Stephanie's grandmother lives in the middle of nowhere, in the woods of southeast Missouri. Middle of nowhere. Hills, woods. And so to get to her house, you have to drive these dirt roads. And this is actually a little bit clearer than what it normally is. But you got to 
drive these dirt roads. And you go deep and deep and deep in there. And then all of a sudden, you're on the main road, but then you come to this kind of fork in the road. The main road is clearly going forward. But off to the left over here is this narrow road. Trees are really over it, more so than the main road. You can't even see where it leads to. It's mysterious. It's dark compared to the main road. And so instinct tells you initially, you're like, well, I'm just going to keep going straight because that's where I'm supposed to go. That's where I'd want to go. But in reality, where you're supposed to go, where you want to go, is if you want to go to her grandmother's house, is take that narrow path. And you get off that main path, and you take the narrow path, and you just keep going and going, and you turn around, and you turn left, and you turn around, and you keep going around. And then finally, all of a sudden, out of the clearing comes this beautiful log cabin house perched atop this hill, overlooking a beautiful countryside, this pond. It leads to where you're supposed to go, where you want to go. But the wide path, the main road, although it's clear, although it can go faster, although you can touch the bottom and you can see everything clearly, although you can manage, and it's not too scary, it doesn't seem too powerful, it eventually leads to nowhere. You're just fooling about in knee-deep water. And it doesn't take you where you're supposed to go. It doesn't even take you where you want to go. So it comes down to your choice. As Jesus said, will you, will you take that broad road or will you take the narrow road? And it comes down to the heart. Every day he's calling us to him out of hiding. Forever he wants to leave us engulfed in the ocean of his presence and glory. The question is, is do you want to? Do you want the Lord? Do you want to go deeper with him? Do you want him? Is your desire simply to see and behold the glory of God? Do you love his appearing, as Paul would say? And if you say yes to that, let me ask you, then are you praying? Because if you're not, you really don't care. You just want to talk about it. You just want to build sandcastles. But a storm's coming. You better choose him and all of him. He's made a way for you to enter into his presence, in and through his body, which is what we're going to recognize here in just a moment by partaking of these elements. He has made a way for us that we can now come in and through his body into the most holy of holy places. And so before we do that, though, we need to get our hearts and our minds right. We need to come to him. And so right now, I want, to, I want you to just bow your heads across this room John and the team is going to come forward. The deacons are going to come forward and even get themselves ready down here in the front. And as they do that, I just want you to come into the presence of the Lord and say, Lord, I'm all in. I'm all in. I'm all in. I'm all in. Confess your sins. Repent, turn from your idols, turn from what you said, turn from what you thought, turn from what you did. Confess your sins. He's faithful and just to forgive you those sins, is what John tells us. Just come to him. He's calling you into communion with him. Quit hiding behind the leaves. 
come to him. Be all in. Be all in. John and the team is going to lead us in a song of invitation. And as this song plays, you just spend time in prayer. If you want to sing with us, you sing. But if not, you just pray. And pray these words, sing these words. Just in true communion with the Father. So let's stand together during this time of response. I hear.